On the front page of today's newspapers and in media coverage across the country, sources FBI sought nuclear documents, classified documents relating to nuclear weapons were among the items FBI agents sought in a search of former President Donald Trump's Florida residence Monday, according to people familiar with the investigation. We will have more to say about this later on in the show. But first, I want to get to the other story, which is next to it, top of the fold, headline in the Republican, that's MassLive.com, Republican newspaper, the physical edition of the paper today, Baker signs clean energy bill. The subhead governor had misgivings, in quotes, over rejection of his amendments. This from the State House News Service. Governor Charlie Baker was able to overcome his agita (laughs) and yesterday signed the legislature's compromise offshore wind and climate policy bill, but he aired, quote, deep misgivings with some parts of the law and the way the House and Senate addressed his suggestions. Here with us for her regular segment is State Representative Natalie Blay, representative for the 1st Franklin District, which is, I believe, the most rural district uh, in the state. We are so pleased the representative could be back with us, particularly today after Baker signs clean energy bill, because I know, Representative Blay, that you were very involved in this legislation along with other members of the Western Massachusetts delegation. Tell us about the bill. Tell us whether you think it's a victory and your uh, detailing how this came about in the last uh, few moments of the legislative session, I think would be interesting for our listeners to hear. So. Help us out. Help us understand what has happened. Yeah, this was a tremendous victory. And, you know, the it's, climate change is one of the things I hear most about from constituents. And this is actually the second climate bill that we have passed this session. Uh, we passed a climate bill early on in the 192nd. Um, and now we have passed a second ambitious piece of climate legislation. Uh, This originated with a House version of a bill that uh, dealt specifically with offshore wind, whereas the Senate took a different approach, which was a a more comprehensive approach. And the House and the Senate were able to work together to compromise these bills and really put forward an incredible piece of legislation uh, that really tackles uh, climate change and helps us to meet our clean energy goals. And I have to say, you know, give tremendous uh, kudos to the chairs of ENRA on both, not ENRA, TUE committee on both the House and the Senate side for being being able to really reconcile these two bills and and get us where we are today, which is, uh, well, yesterday, Charlie Baker signed the legislation into law. And we are, we, we are really, really proud of this work that we were able to do. The call-out in the Republican says this. I'll quote this one sentence. Massachusetts lawmakers, along with Baker and his administration, have committed the Bay State to reducing carbon emissions by at least 33 percent by 2025, 50 percent by 2030, 75 percent by 2040, and at least 85 percent by 2050. I would like to know this. In terms of passing a significant piece of legislation here in Massachusetts. Does that have ramifications or consequences with regard to the economic competitiveness of the state if we are out front on this uh, uh, in in doing something that other states are not undertaking? How does that work? So that that is a really great question, Uh, and it is something on the House side that 
you know, in advancing the offshore wind industry, we really felt like we were positioning Massachusetts uh, for the next generation of renewable energy. We will be viewed as a national, if not an international leader in offshore wind in terms of, of jobs, you know, the production uh, of these, hopefully you know, having these turbines produced here. Uh, and this is really viewed as a job creator. I also think that hopefully people will view Massachusetts as a climate leader uh, and choose to locate here, you know, whether you are an individual or family or business uh, who believes, as we do, that climate change is something that we must address, then hopefully you know, those belief systems will bring the smartest and best people uh, to live and work right here in Massachusetts. Is there some projection as to how this bill and its implementation of alternative, that is alternative to fossil fuels, uh, energy will improve air quality uh, Particularly here, I'm interested in the valley where we have an extremely high asthma rate in Springfield and Holyoke and a lot of days of bad air quality. Or is that simply something we have to live with because up it comes from New York and Connecticut and this really won't affect that? I mean, I think the less fossil fuels that we are relying on, the better off we are all going to be. Um, and, and this does have provisions around um, the prohibition of the use of, of biomass, which is something that Springfield has uh, discussed uh, and dealt with in the past. Uh, so that was an important provision. Um, you know, the governor did seek to weaken the Woody Biomass RPS program. Um, and so this was something that the legislature did act on um, where it was a, a Woody Biomass RPS program. Uh, program repeal. And so as we're looking at you know, things like biomass and making sure that that is not happening, we're also looking at using more, more solar, more wind. And one of the bills that uh, Senator Comerford, Rep. Dom, and I were able to insert into this larger climate bill was um, it, it was around single parcel solar. Uh, currently, only one entity on a single tax parcel can participate in, in net metering. And net metering is what makes solar affordable. It allows solar panel owners to sell excess energy back to the electric grid. Uh, and, and we know, we all know that the expansion of solar energy is necessary to reduce greenhouse gases. Um, the rule that was in place around single parcel, and I'm sorry, this is really geeky, uh, but it did. That's okay. We are so in the weeds. I, I, and so far, I'm following it. Let me just say it back. One parcel, one set of solar panels. Um, and you've done something okay. to fix so that up. This, this was a rule that was put in place, and it, it prevented people from being able to access the benefits of solar power. And it really frustrated our constituents. We heard directly from them. And so, as a result of their partnership, their advocacy, their desire to make sure that the Commonwealth is meeting its clean energy goals. We were able to advance this provision that, that loosens that single parcel rule. It allows in circum certain, certain circumstances for net metering for facilities on that same single tax parcel. And it also allows these class one solar systems up to 25 kilowatts to be exempt. So this was a big win, not only for people um, 
who want to be able to access solar energy and, and really help us to meet our clean energy goals, uh, but also for, for PV installers in the area who, who are interested in, in helping us meet those goals too. And of course, make a significant economic contribution to the Valley as well as significant environmental contribution. Let me ask you one other aspect of this, replay, if I might, and that is the uh, uh, complaints that Governor Baker had about this bill, which which amount to him saying the House and the Senate didn't pass any of the economic development pieces that uh, he wanted to be part of the environmental bill. Uh, that economic development bill didn't make it through the House and the Senate towards the end of the session. There's been a lot of talk recently about whether or not the House and the Senate would be called back into session to try to deal with the economic development bill. Is that going to happen, or is that dead for the remainder of this informal session, and we'll hear about it in January? I think several of us have expressed uh, our willingness to come back uh, to work if, if this is something that, that we can get done. Um, you know, there was this clause, this, this law that was potentially going to be triggered that we learned about from the Baker administration only days before the end of session. And, you know, if, if we did exceed that threshold and, and trigger this, this ceiling, uh, the Commonwealth may have been required to return an estimated $3 billion to taxpayers with, with many low-income tax filers receiving nothing and the highest-income tax filers getting the biggest benefit. We will not know um, if that threshold has been exceeded until the auditor reviews and analyzes information from the Department of Revenue uh, to determine if there is an excess of allowable state revenues. Uh, in accordance with statute, her office releases this report on the third Tuesday of September. So I think once we have that information, we will be able to, to take a look at what was included in the Economic Development Bill, uh, which included one-time tax rebates uh, and tax reforms that would really provide relief for taxpayers across the Commonwealth. But I, I do, to your original question, uh, I, I think that many of us would be willing to go back in to make sure we get that work done, so long as we have this information uh, that allows us to make an informed decision and ensures that we're being responsible steward of tax dollars. And part of that informed decision is what to do with this $3 billion of rebates, that a law that none of us knew existed uh, until very recently <laughs> would then be sent back to taxpayers and the legislature might change that? Is, is that what you were saying? I, I think that there, I mean, it's certainly being discussed. There is a lot of debate around whether or not you follow that 1980s. It was a referendum that was passed in 1986, uh, whether you follow that to the law or if you take a look at it again to determine whether or not that is the best way for us to, um, to move forward. Representative Blay, I'd like to go back to the climate bill for a few moments, if I might. You were a proponent and a mover and shaker with regard to a couple of uh, climate-related pieces of legislation that I believe ended up successfully being folded into this climate bill. One was an act relative to electric bicycle rebates, another an act relative to municipal relief from transportation infrastructure, uh, which is a long title. Uh, I... 
congratulate you on having those pieces of legislation become law. Could you take them for us one at a time and tell us what they do and, and what those provisions in this bill will accomplish? Yeah, we were able to work hard in the last, you know, over the last several months and over the last two years to build momentum for a couple of different pieces of legislation. Um, two of them were included in the climate bill. Two of them were included in the transportation bill. Um, the the two that were included in the climate bill were the single parcel one that I just uh, explained very weedily. Uh, and then the second one was the grid modernization bill that Senator Comerford and I filed. Uh, it is just what it sounds like. It, the grid modernization bill will allow for the transition to green energy and give residents of the Commonwealth a voice in their clean energy future. Um, you know, we have an, an antiquated electrical grid that was built for centralized generation. It was designed to carry energy from power generation stations to end users. And this presents a challenge when we look at distributed generation, which comes from solar and wind, net metering, and other modern technologies. So this language that was included in the climate bill was a huge win because it forces uh, utility companies to proactively upgrade transmission uh, lines and the distribution grid so that we can improve reliability and resiliency uh, to accommodate our shift to a green energy future. Uh, Importantly, yeah, go ahead. You know, I I just want to make sure I understand. So this bill will essentially uh, require utilities to use the uh, solar and, well, mostly solar, I guess, from individuals production and then put that into the grid? I mean, we've all seen how that works over the last number of years, but this bill will require, in essence, require the infrastructure to be created and maintained so that those smaller solar uh, parcels can be utilized for electricity? Or am I misstating that? It's really really everything. It's beyond solar. It's any green, modern technology. Uh, The language in the bill requires uh, the utilities, the electric distribution companies, to develop transformation plans to address the grid modernization needs that we have to put in place uh, to ensure that we are um, using green technology in the very, uh, in the most efficient way, and that we are preparing for our clean energy future, that we are meeting the Commonwealth's clean energy goals. Because right now, our grid, the way that it is currently structured, will not allow us to meet our clean energy goals. We are speaking with State Representative Natalie Blay. We're going to take a quick break. We'll come back in just a few moments. We want to hear more about the environment and what she has accomplished, which is a lot, along with the rest of the Western Mass delegation, to make Massachusetts greener, safer, healthier, better. We'll be right back. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. In the mood for takeout? Want to find yoga classes, music lessons, or art supplies nearby? Save 30% on full-value gift certificates to dozens of local businesses and services from Springfield to Brattleboro and everywhere in between. Whether it's a quick bite for lunch, something nice for a special occasion, or just an excuse for some good old retail therapy, save 30% on full-value gift certificates at the Shop 30 store at whmp.com. Ace flips burgers at her day job as she tries to outrun the shadows of the past she shares with her dad, 
who spends his days watching game shows from his lawn chair on the moon. Chester Theatre Company presents To the Moon and Back, a world premiere starring Tara Franklin and Ray Burke as a daughter and father with a history as murky as the dark side of the moon. To the Moon and Back, August 11th through the 21st at Chester Theatre Company. Get tickets now at chestertheatre.org. Every Friday morning, Monty visits the wine snobs to talk about wine at State Street. But I don't see wine here, Ringo. What do you got? Well, who am I? You're the spirit guy. Uh-oh. So you're taking me down the road of spirit. So our next whiskey is going back to traditions here. Uh, this is Port Eskeg, eight-year-old single malt scotch. So it's actual scotch? This is Scotland scotch, scotchy scotch scotch. This is an Isla single malt, peatier in style. This one does not suffer supply chain issues because you wouldn't be giving it to us if it did, right? Correct. It says Port Eskeg, which is a location, but it's an independent bottler that gives them their whiskey. Because there's so many different approaches on whiskey, I really try and hit everything with a very open mind as far as what can be good. This one got 95 points at the, the Ultimate Spirits Challenge. I think this is very good. And how much is this single mall? This is $66.99, so it's kind of right in that low to mid-entry level price point. Find your favorite whiskey and your next favorite whiskey at State Street. Getting your credit score and credit report free is another great reason to bank at Greenfield Savings Bank. With the GSB Credit Center, you can monitor your credit score and credit report as often as you like, set up alerts, and find tips on how to improve your credit score. Getting your credit score and credit report free is another great reason to bank at Greenfield Savings Bank. With the GSB Credit Center, you can monitor your credit score and credit report as often as you like, set up alerts, and find tips on how to improve your credit score. Monitoring your credit score and report is an important tool in protecting your finances and can help you identify errors and prevent fraud. Our GSB Credit Center is just one of the great benefits that comes free with both our free online banking and our free mobile app. And with the GSB mobile app, you can check your score and access your credit report free anytime and from anywhere using your mobile device. And checking your credit report at the GSB Credit Center will not affect your credit score. Sign up today at any of our offices or online. Greenfield Savings Bank. Greenfieldsavings.com. Member FDIC. Member DIF. Mobile carrier charges may apply. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. We continue our conversation with State Representative Natalie Blay, representative for the 1st Franklin District. Rep. Blay, I'd like to uh, bring to your attention uh, and have you reconcile for us these two matters. One, a letter in today's Daily Hampshire Gazette uh, accusing politicians of suffering from bicycle brain, caring too much about bicycles, not caring enough about cars and parking and the like. Uh, you were the sponsor, the successful sponsor of an, an act legislation uh, folded into now, I believe, the climate bill, an act relative to electric bicycle rebates. Can you tell us about that bill which you sponsored, what happened and what its effect will be here in Massachusetts? Yeah, this was a bill I introduced for the first time this session uh, after speaking with a constituent uh, in the first Franklin district. And it calls for the creation of a rebate program for electric bicycles or e-bikes. Uh, currently, e-bikes cost around $1,000 to $4,000. And rebates in the United States range from maybe $100 to $700. Uh, that is far too expensive for Massachusetts residents. And if we incentivize the purchase of e-bikes, we're not only in addressing the tr transportation options, increasing transportation options, but also fueling economic development. We're improving health outcomes by getting people outside. 
and also helping us to meet the Commonwealth's climate goals. So what was included in the transportation bill was uh, funding to allocate $1 million to establish a state rebate program that would offer $500 rebates for e-bike buyers and $750 rebates for low-income e-bike buyers. Um, this, this functions much like the rebates that we have been providing for electric vehicles, um, but many people would prefer bicycles, and we want to make sure that we're providing them with that option. Is it your impression from your constituents that there has been increased use of and interest in electrical electric bikes? Yeah, there was a recent poll. I could not believe these numbers. Uh, the Mass Inc. polling group did a survey that found that two-thirds of those polled, 67% of those polled, um, favor e-bike rebates. They found that after being given a description of e-bikes, over half of residents are at least somewhat interested in purchasing one. And interest rises even further with a rebate. Both of these figures are far higher than the 15% of residents who are currently riding a bike regularly. Yeah, and it's, um, yeah, re- it's those numbers to me are shocking. <laughs> yeah, and it's, and it's really interesting because you put that data uh, and combine it with the fact that most car trips are for two or three miles most of the time. Uh, basically to run errands. And if people would switch when they can, when uh, weather permits, to an e-bike as opposed to using a uh, fossil fuel uh, propelled car, we're again doing a lot about the climate and about the quality or air quality. So it seems to me it's a win-win-win-win-win situation. Absolutely. I mean, for last mile transportation options in an area where we are lacking public transportation, this is a helpful solution. Um, also, you know, in terms of economic development, having small businesses who are selling and repairing these bicycles, and if you look at tourism, I mean, we have people biking along our highways and, and back roads you know, every day. And to the extent that we're able to use e-bikes as a way to get people who are a little apprehensive about biking out into nature and back into our communities. Uh, it could be it could be a really incredible economic development opportunity. Uh, Rep. Way, I'd like to ask you about another act, uh, another piece of legislation that you sponsored. It is an invitation, I know, to be deep in the weeds, particularly <laughs> given the title, uh, which is an eye-glazing, mouth-numbing series of words, but it's also important. So let me share the actual title, and then I'd appreciate it if you could tell us what it does. This was a House Bill 3412, an act relative to municipal relief. Everyone got that? Okay, no eyes glazing over yet. (laughs) An act relative to municipal relief from transportation infrastructure enhancement trust fund reporting requirements. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. But help us out. because very, very good. (laughs) Well, help us out because, you know, for for one thing, I think it's really interesting. I hope it's interesting for listeners to understand how complicated it is to actually draft legislation that makes sense and works and how much diligence it takes for our elected officials to accomplish not only the writing, but then the passage of the legislation. So help us out. I won't go through this entire title, but it has to do with municipal relief from, uh, okay, the Transportation Infrastructure Enhancement Trust. 
we can we can start with that. <laughs> uh, first, I just want to say, you know, these two bills that I introduced stemmed from conversations with constituents and municipal municipal officials in the first Franklin district. It was a promise I made when I ran for office to ensure our voices were heard on Beacon Hill. And the inclusion of these provisions in both the climate bill and the transportation bill speaks volumes to the power of constituent voices in shaping state policies. So the e-bike piece of legislation was brought to me by a, a constituent from Shrewsbury. This bill was brought to me as an idea from many municipal officials in the first Franklin district. The Transportation uh, Infrastructure Enhancement Trust Fund, per statute, the Transportation Network Company, so the TNC division of the Department of Public Utilities, the DPU, has to collect a 20 cent per ride assessment on all TNC rides. And a TNC is Uber Lyft, which we don't have a lot of in our small rural communities. So they collect a 20 cent per ride assessment on any Uber and Lyft ride originating in the Commonwealth. Half of these funds are distributed to mass development and the Commonwealth's transportation fund, transportation infrastructure enhancement fund, the other half is distributed to Massachusetts cities and towns based on the amount of rides initiated in each community. Each community receiving funds were then required to submit an annual spending report to the state and how the, the money was used. They were also required to appropriate the funds in order to use them. So These are the local governments. Have these funds. They have to appropriate them. Yes. Okay. How, how much money do you think the town of Charlemont received in 2021 in terms of Uber and Lyft fees being returned to them? 20 cents. 20 cents. How did you know that? <laughs> no, no, no. That was right. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I did pretty well on Wordle today, too. So, okay. <laughs> the town of Deerfield received $39.30. Cities like Boston receive millions of dollars. And so you know, whether a town is receiving pennies or millions of dollars, they were all subject to the same requirements. So Charlemont, if they wanted to spend that 20 cents, not only do they have to submit an annual report, but they also have to go to town meeting to say, hey, town meeting members, this is how we want to spend 20 cents. <laughs> I can't believe that's really true. The 20 cents is really true. Yes, yes. You can go to the TNC website and see what communities were doing with their $0.10 cents or their $0.30 cents or their $34. It was really frustrating for our municipalities whose staff is already stretched really thin to have to submit this paperwork and to go to town meeting and say, hey, we're receiving $0.20 cents from the state and you have to, uh, you have to approve spending it. Uh, it, was a, it was a bureaucratic burden. Uh, particularly for our small communities. So passage, you know, inclusion of this language into the transportation bill lessened that reporting requirements for municipalities that receive amounts less than $25,000 annually. Uh, it also gives flexibility to municipalities to spend those limited funds without further appropriation. Uh, this was just, it's just good government. It's something that you know, when they passed this legislation, I don't think anyone anticipated what a burden this would be on our, our small communities. Um, but this bill 
you know, is, is really helping our small towns and, and taking that off their plate is something that they need to do. We have been speaking with State Representative Natalie Blay, representative from the 1st Franklin District, which includes the towns of Ashfield, Buckland, Conway, Deerfield, Leverett, Montague, Shelburne, Shutesbury, Sunderland, and Waitley in Franklin County, and also in Hampshire County, notwithstanding the title of the district, Chesterfield, Cummington, Goshen, Huntington, Middlefield, Plainfield, Williamsburg, and Worthington, and not to be left out, one of the favorite towns, uh, <laughs> one of my favorite towns, the town of Chester, which somehow is in Hamden <laughs> County. I don't quite understand how that works. Representative Blay, thank you so much for being with us regularly. We really appreciate your time and your representation. Thank you so very much. Great to talk with you, Bill. Get in on the conversation. Call 413-586-7140. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. Police are investigating after reports of an explosion in a resident's backyard. Yesterday, just before 3 p.m., police officers were called to 41 Union Street in Greenfield. The police closed the street, evacuated residents, and asked several neighbors to shelter in place during the investigation. Working with Massachusetts and Vermont State Police bomb squads, the Greenfield police identified the source of the explosion to be a camping propane tank that had been covered in cloth and intentionally set on fire. The FBI is conducting a preliminary investigation to rule out domestic terrorism. However, police believe there is no danger to the public at this time. A Greenfield man was arrested, but his identity and the charges he's facing have not been released. The renovation of the Jones Library in Amherst is hitting some roadblocks. Skyrocketing construction costs and inflation are creating a budget gap of $11.6 million. The Jones Library Building Committee met yesterday to discuss additional costs. Town Manager Paul Bockelman says he expects a process to get underway that will allow trustees and other officials to determine what opportunities there are for modifying plans. And there are now 45 new cases of monkeypox in Massachusetts, which brings the total of cases to 202 in the state. The Massachusetts DPH is working with local health officials, the patients, and health care providers to identify individuals who may have been in contact with the patients while they were infectious. Pleasant air for the weekend. Plenty of sunshine today. Light breeze from the north and a high of 78 to 82. Mostly clear tonight. Overnight low of 50 to 56. Mostly sunny tomorrow. A high of 76 to 80. And a sun cloud mix for Sunday. A high in the low 80s. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis. 1015 WHMP. This News Minute is brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media. Yo soy Johan Rashivega con la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media. La popular iniciativa de bicicletas compartidas de la ciudad Valley Bike Share se ha visto socavada en las últimas semanas por vandalismo. La ciudad ha recibido informes de cuatro bicicletas arrojadas a un canal, bicicletas no devueltas y dejadas abandonadas, bicicletas dañadas permanentemente que implican una pérdida de $1,200 por bicicleta, cuentas falsas creadas para comprar el uso de bicicletas y las baterías que se retiran de las bicicletas y se venden. La Oficina de Planeación y Desarrollo Económico de Holyoke está pidiendo al público que informe incidentes de vandalismo al Departamento de Policía de Holyoke. Las bicicletas son propiedad de la ciudad y es ilegal hacer mal uso de ellas. La Policía de Holyoke está al tanto de la situación y tomará medidas contra quienes cometan estos delitos. 
En otras informaciones, el expresidente de Estados Unidos, Donald Trump, dijo el miércoles que se negó a responder preguntas durante una comparecencia ante el fiscal general del estado de Nueva York en una investigación civil sobre las prácticas comerciales de su familia, invocando la quinta enmienda constitucional, que le otorga el derecho contra la autoincriminación. Trump, su hijo Donald Trump Jr. y su hija Ivanka Trump habían luchado sin éxito para evitar comparecer a declarar en la investigación de la fiscal general del estado, Leticia James, sobre si la organización Trump infló los valores inmobiliarios para obtener préstamos favorables y subestimó los valores de los activos para obtener exenciones fiscales. La decisión de Trump de no responder preguntas aún podría tener consecuencias. Si la investigación conduce a un juicio, los miembros del jurado podrían tener en cuenta su silencio. Políticamente, también podría dar municiones a los adversarios sobre si Trump tiene algo que ocultar mientras reflexiona sobre otra candidatura presidencial en 2024. Yo soy Johan Rashi Vega y esta fue la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media a través de WHMP. This News Minute has been brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. And this is our weekly segment with Max Page, who has been a professor at the University of Massachusetts Amherst and a person very involved in both the representation of the union and with taking on, when necessary, the administration of UMass Amherst. Max is with us every week for a segment we, called Yours, Your, we call Your State You, although, of course, we deal with education issues uh, in all spheres of public and sometimes private education in the Commonwealth. Max Page... There is something going on with the uh, Board of Elementary and Secondary Education about to happen. I find it deeply distressing. And given all that's going on in the news, something that has not received much attention, bring our listeners up to date, please. Max Page. Thanks, Bill. Yes, on Monday, the Board of Elementary and Secondary Education, which oversees public schools in Massachusetts, is having a rare August meeting deep in the heart of August, and they are about to vote to dramatically raise the, the MCAS cutoff scores, meaning the minimum scores that students need to achieve when they take the 10th grade MCAS, or they will not get a diploma. And we have, over the past um, decade, um, over 50,000 students who have not received a diploma because they couldn't pass, they couldn't reach the tests scores in all parts of that test by the 10th grade um, or 10th, in the 10th grade MCAS. And this will only make that worse. And so this is a really, in other words, Bessie, as it's called, Board of Elementary and Secondary Education, is doubling down on the test and punish approach to public education. And I will be there to, to speak against that, as will our, our, our area senator, Senator Joe Comerford, who, who has been a leader in fighting against on the MCAS as a graduation tool and as kind of a high stakes test and punish tool. So we're going to protest that, although we are not expecting necessarily to win that. It's sort of one of these uh, things where they lock up the votes before they enter the meeting. But it is really a disturbing development. Yeah, you're not supposed to lock up the votes before the meeting, isn't there? Don't we have something called the open meeting law where people don't get together and uh, do things in secret that they're supposed to be doing in public? An, an excellent point. I assume they did not actually meet 
they had one-on-one -on -one conversations, which unfortunately are allowed under open meeting law. You just can't um, coordinate it, you know, uh, have a separate whole whole meeting of several individuals. Well, so you can't object. do you can't do sequentially what you would be prohibited from doing in one in one session. Fair enough, and I will. I am projecting, Bill. I am not making a legal accusation. I am projecting that they go are going in knowing that they have the votes. They've had preliminary discussions of this in public in which it's been clear that they think this is the next step in ed reform. And it's it's based in to a large degree, they are basing this desire or this move to hike the MCAS scores um, on a 2020 report by John Pape from Brown University called Lifting All Boats, Accomplishments and Challenges from 20 Years of Education Reform in Massachusetts. This is sort of their, their basis to show why this hike in test scores is necessary um, because they show, guess what, that there's some correlation between MCAS scores and college graduation and income later in life. There's also, I would argue, <laughs> not argue, it's factually true that there's also a direct correlation between zip code, that is income and MCAS scores and college graduation rates and later income. What MCAS does so perfectly is it captures the income levels of our students and our school districts. And so this notion of, of hiking the MCAS scores as somehow a way to improve public education, we think is just deeply flawed. Let me ask you this, Max. A student who takes the MCAS and does not meet the, the minimum pass, passing grade for MCAS in 10th grade, gets to take it again at least once, maybe two more times, to see if the student can pass MCAS and will receive a high school diploma. Uh, if the student does not accomplish that, then the student will receive, as I understand it, a certificate of attendance. You went to high school, you graduated, but you actually don't get a diploma because of MCAS. Do I have that more or less right? That That is correct, Bill, but there's a big difference when you go out in the world uh, to go to a, a future college or for employment, or whether you have a certificate of attendance versus an actual diploma. And what's remarkable, Bill, is that this is this is happening. That is com not only commitment, but doubling down on the MCAS by the Board of Elementary and Secondary Education at the very moment that virtually every major college and university is giving up on the SAT and the ACT. They're making going test optional from public colleges to Harvard and Yale and everywhere else are saying, you know what? We think that a much better way of evaluating students' um, accomplishments is guess what? By what their teachers graded them over the course of 12 years in school. And through tests, through papers, through other kinds of evaluation, they give them grades, they move them along. That is a much better evaluation of how, how kids are doing. Okay, so in the minute or so we have left, the high-stakes testing of MCAS, I know how critical you are of that and how critical the MTA has been of MCAS, but is, are you saying you should just abolish MCAS altogether, or are you saying there is an alternative to MCAS? Where does the MTA come out on this? The MTA, look, there's a federal law that you have to test every year, and the MTA is centrally against the high-stakes nature of these tests. A, on students not getting diplomas, on schools and districts being kind of punished and watched over and even taken over if their MCAS scores are too low, 
And when you make these tests so high stakes, then you narrow the curriculum in schools. So the, the notion that of assessment, which is what which educators do every single day of the school year, um, is of course what we believe in. We also believe that these tests and the high stakes nature of them are narrowing and limiting the curriculum um, and therefore not allowing us to provide as good an education as our educators want to. One or two last questions on this, Max, because we have to run. If Bessie increases the minimum score that has to be achieved on MCAS in order to receive a high school diploma, how many more students who will graduate high school, do all the work, accomplish all their coursework, turn in all their papers, do the tests, do everything they need to pass except deal successfully with this one high stakes test, how many more students will be denied, mostly I think poor students and students of color living in the wrong zip codes, not the wrong, but the poor zip codes, um, how many more students will not receive a high school diploma? We don't know that yet. We will be making projections on that bill, but as I said, it's been about 50,000 over the past decade. And now if you raise those scores, those base scores higher, you expect to have many more. So we think this is just the absolute wrong way to go, especially as you just mentioned, that the students who are likely not to get those cutoff scores will be low income and students of color. So this feels like it has a discriminatory effect. And it has not been proven that, that by having the MCAS in place as this high stakes test, that it has improved those gaps between the wealthiest and the poorest. So we've been doing this now for, you know, 15 years, 20 years, this education reform and having this MCAS as high stakes. And yet we have not improved things. So why don't we focus on what matters, which is providing the significant funding that we need, providing the wraparound services in schools, providing what students need to, to learn to have in order to succeed in school. We're going to leave it there. We've been speaking with Max Page. Max is the president of the Massachusetts Teachers Association with us almost every Friday. Thanks so much, Max. Really appreciate your time and insights. Thanks, Bill. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. Weinsick Nursery in Hadley has been named Best Local Garden Center in this year's Reader's Choice Awards, sponsored by the Daily Hampshire Gazette. Owner Michael Weinsick would like to thank each and every customer who took the time to vote for Weinsick Nursery in this year's Reader's Poll. It's an honor and a privilege to hold that local title and to live up to that reputation. Visit Weinsick Nursery on Route 9 in Hadley and at WeinsickNursery.com for the best landscape and gardening supplies. We are the growers. Come to the source. When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it. Hearing the verdict and hearing the words racial animus were extremely painful for, certainly for myself and for the women and men of the Greenfield Police Department who really do go to work every day to serve the people of Greenfield. 1015, 1400, and 1240. We are the Valley. We are WHMP. Right in your town, maybe even in your neighborhood, an immigrant is building a new life, trying to find their way, all while learning a new language. The International Language Institute offers free English classes for immigrants and refugees, for true beginners and others, like students in our Bridge to College and Careers program. One of the nation's top language schools is right here, with free English classes for immigrants and refugees. 
the International Language Institute in downtown Northampton. Want to support the kind of local talk you hear on The Bill Newman Show? Want to hear your business's message here on WHMP? Email us, yourmessage at whmp.com. We'll help you craft a marketing message that'll reach listeners of your favorite WHMP show. And we'll be supporting the local news, valley talk, and progressive voices you hear right here on WHMP. Let us know about your message. Email us, yourmessage at whmp.com. And add your message to our mission. And hear your message right here on WHMP. Your message at whmp.com. The beat goes on The beat goes on This is Artbeat with Donabel Cassis, our weekly segment with our arts guru Donabel Cassis. Donabel, tell us what is happening in the valley this weekend, please. Oh my gosh, what is not happening this weekend? We are so lucky to be living in a place where there's always art stuff going on. So this is a great summer. There's so many things to see this month. Of course, tonight is Arts Night Out in Northampton. It's going to be a beautiful night. Go walk outside, go downtown and see some incredible art. Definitely check out William Basic's show. He's got a group show up there right now. Um, in Holyoke, check out this show called Emergence, QT BIPOC Aesthetic Abundance. It's at Pulp at 80 Ray Street. And in, it's an exhibition gathered by artist Shelvania Gabriel, founder of the Creative Resilience Project, which is a community art performance dialogue space for BIPOC creatives based in Holyoke. So you can see the exhibit at Pulp and then participate in activities next door. So it's up through August 21st. And while you're in Holyoke next Friday, August 19th, there will be a walking tour of a placemaking and public art project on Main Street. It reflects the vital Puerto Rican and Latinx culture of the neighborhoods. It's held by El Corazon, the heart of Holyoke. And what you do is you meet at Nueva Esperanza at 501 Main Street on Friday, August 19th. And as we're circling around the valley in East Hampton, you can check out the Oxbow Gallery at 40 Cottage Street. And in the front gallery space, 35 members will be showing work that interprets the theme black and white. And the back gallery, you'll see color etchings and woodcuts by Joan Dix Blair. And this show is up through August 28th. And I did stop into the Oxbow, which uh, I'm sure many listeners will remember used to be in Northampton, but then moved to East Hampton. Uh, it's it's a better space. It's a bigger space in East Hampton. It's beautiful, it's right on yeah. right on Cottage Street, right? It's and uh, the galleries are the, both the front gallery and the back gallery really accessible, and uh, the show the show is really worth checking out. I, I'd like mm -hmm. to uh, go back, if I could, Donabel, to ask you a bit more about what's happening at uh, William Basic's gallery. You say there's a local show of uh, of different different artists uh, from around the valley? Yeah, it's, it's a summer group show. He, he usually collects work um, from his roster and highlights some specific pieces. It's, it's such a nice variety of work by um, artists from all over. So I always would say just 
go and check it out. I'm wondering whether you uh, have some sense of uh, Northampton as is continuing to be an arts mecca, and I'm wondering whether there is uh, competition, at least friendly competition, from East Hampton with uh, uh, the uh, Oxbow having moved there and a number of stores that have uh, presentations and uh, art that is displayed in the stores. What's your sense of, of East Hampton or Northampton as sort of the arts mecca? And, and, and Holyoke, too, obviously. A lot more happening in Holyoke than there was five years ago. Oh, my gosh. I mean, I think they they all have their own audience. I mean, Northampton's been around, obviously, in the art scene for a while. And, you know, Arts Night Out is sort of a, a you know, standard for people to look forward to every month. You know, it's the uh, second Friday. So, you know, there's so much happening with the uh, Northampton uh, Center for the Arts and APE Gallery and, you know, of course, William Basic. I mean, I think there's so much happening in Northampton. Of course, in East Hampton, you know, they they have all the mill buildings with all the studio galleries, um, you know, so there's a lot more to see there, but they also have, you know, different events. I think with Holyoke um, now being sort of a burgeoning art scene and more development happening there, I think people can really look forward to what's happening down there. I mean, there's, there's so much happening everywhere. It's kind of hard to cover everything every week. So, um, you know, I have to be choosy sometimes because people will just be inundated with events. Let me ask you this. In terms of uh, community uh, art, and that is art created in the community, um, are there uh, venues that you in particular go to in order to find that kind of art and experience that? Or this is simply a sort of catch and catch can depending on what the gallery, uh, the gallery, I'll say owners, for lack of a better word for just a second, um, want, want to display? I mean, I think, you know, what my taste is very varied. And when I look at what's happening around the area, and if, of course, if you haven't already, you should check out Valley Arts Newsletter because Bronwyn does an amazing job compiling um, events that people can check out all over the place. But um, essentially, you know, there, there's, depending on what you want to see is sort of where you want to go. So, you know, uh, Anchor House of Artists in Northampton. Again, in Northampton. Yeah, it has a very cool eclectic collection of artists and, you know, very interesting work sort of out of the mainstream, which I appreciate. Of course, Pulp down in Holyoke has a, a really stellar roster and um, always looking to show new and exciting work from all over the country. Um, but es essentially, you know, you can go check out what's on Valley Arts Newsletter to see what you're interested in. Of course, there are festivals all over the place. And 33 Holly Street has a gallery. I don't know if uh, post-COVID yet they've begun to hang uh, uh, various uh, artworks or put on uh, shows in that gallery yet, but uh, it's another. Oh, oh, yeah, they have. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, up in the mezzanine, they've had some shows. They right. also showcase works downstairs in the hallways. And, of course, there are always performances there, so you should definitely check those out. It is, in fact, it, I, I think it is, in fact, a center for arts uh, 
We won't get into the, we won't get into the relationship between all the different arts groups. We'll, I know we'll, that's we'll, great. We'll sort that some other day. But um, exactly. <laughs> but in fact, again, another another venue in Northampton uh, that is absolutely worth visiting. Okay, Donabel, we have a minute left, but I know you're going to be bringing on the show in coming weeks uh, mm-hmm. the artists who are going to be on this. His work will be on display for Florence Night Out, which happens in September. So give us a quick preview of that, if you would. Uh, Sure. Well, I won't go into detail right now, but as you may know or not know, I produced an art street festival called Florence Night Out. And this year will be the seventh iteration of this festival that I first started back in 2013 by myself as a way to sort of highlight what happens in Florence. And so this, in fact, is actually going to be my last Florence Night Out. Oh, that's so Um, sad. (laughs) I know, Um, but we'll get into that later. But essentially, uh, this Florence Night Out will be on Saturday, September 24th from 4 to 7 p.m. We are going to shut down the streets, Main Street. The streets will belong to the people again. Yes. Well, and there will be dancing in the streets, which is my vision. So look out for that, FlorenceNightOut.org. Check it out. I hope to see you there, but we'll cover it soon in the Great. next few weeks. Donabel Cassis, thank you so very much. This has been Art Beat with Donabel. She's with us every weekend. We really appreciate your time, your expertise, your insight, and so much that you bring to the Valley. Thank you, Donabel. Thank you, Bill. Do you love fishing, swimming, or boating, but hate the trash you find? Do you want to help protect clean water and wildlife? Whether you live near the Deerfield River, Millers, Westfield, Chicopee, or Connecticut, your local river needs you. Join the Connecticut River Conservancy and help us protect our rivers. Our rivers belong to all of us, and each of us has a responsibility. Together, we can make a difference. Learn more about what you can do at ctriver.org. The Northampton Community Music Center provides quality, accessible music education to more than 1,000 members of the greater Northampton community. Hi, this is Jason Trotta, Executive Director of the Northampton Community Music Center. Our scholarship fund helps those with limited means access affordable music instruction and has never turned away a qualifying applicant in its 33 years of existence. To find out how you can help, please visit our website at ncmc.net. The only live and local talk in the Valley and for the Valley. WHMP Northampton, WHMQ Greenfield, a Northampton radio group station. It's 10 o'clock.